Good morning, Fellowship. My name is Monty Spurgeon, and I am the pastor of students here at Fellowship. I love getting to lead our student ministry, and I am super pumped to be up here this morning and to open up God's word and teach you the scripture. Lloyd asked me a few weeks ago if I wanted to teach in Psalms, and I was like, yeah, I would love to. And you know, as I started to think about it, I was like, man, I hope I get something that's a little bit more lighthearted, right? Like maybe a, 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 you know, a Psalm praise or something uplifting. And he texts me back, and he's like, hey, I'm grateful that you're in. In fact, you're gonna be teaching Psalm 39 and your sermon title is The Brevity of Life. In other words, life is brief and we're all gonna die, right? And so it's like, great, give the student ministry guy the easy passage to teach, right? Um, if you were here last week, you got to see Lloyd break down Psalm 88 and it was a beautiful message as Psalm 88, it begins in darkness and it ends in darkness. And as we engage that passage, that it really begins to you know, challenge our faith as we ask the question, even Lloyd asked the question in his message, how do we continue to come to God and speak to God when we feel like God is not speaking back to us? And it's a great question that we have to sit with. In fact, something that's been really helpful for me in our Psalms series has been this book, Morning, Noon, and Night. And I know we keep talking about it and telling you guys to grab one. And here's why. We believe this book is a great resource to help you experience God. But one of the things I love about Rob Howard and what he does with this book is that he asks really good questions. I have students that come to me all the time and they're asking, how do we apply the Bible? And I think even as adults, we question that same thing. How do I apply the scriptures? And Rob does a great job in this book by asking really good questions to help you think about the text and to begin to, begin to apply it in our lives. And so if you don't have one, Grab one, there's plenty more in the back. In fact, this is the last weekend to grab one. So if you have one for your household, but you want one for yourself, please take one with you. I do believe this will be a great way for you and help you uh, connect with God. Before we get started this morning, I actually wanna take a moment and welcome some friends that we have in the house. Give it up for our Pine Cove friends over here. Pine Cove City is here this week at Fellowship. I uh, am a fellow Pine Cover. I worked for nine summers, four summers on summer staff, and then four, five summers on full-time staff. Camp name is Bossom. And so I have so much love for what you guys are doing. And I hope this morning just, just blesses you and fills you up as you guys pour out your hearts uh, this week at camp. We love you guys and glad you're here. Um, I also wanna join Carl in saying happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Uh, I am myself a dad. I love being a dad, I have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'll say it. Like, I, I think being a parent to young kids is really hard. <laughs> like, it is tough work having young kids, but I love it. And it is a gift to be a dad. And one of the things I love about being a dad is that I think when you have young kids, they're always gonna surprise you with something, right? You never know what they're gonna say or what they're gonna do. And you're in public, you're like, you just gonna have to like, Keep a hand on it, right? And so I have a son, his name is Shepard and Shep is four years old. And if you know Shep, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like Shep is a loose cannon. Like you just never know what he's gonna say. He's hilarious. And so our kids, they go to Promised Land. It's a preschool here at Fellowship. And maybe your preschools do this as well. But every year at our preschool, our teachers allow our kids to fill out a bio about their parents. And so like, you never know what they're gonna say. Like, I get nervous. Like, I know a lot of the teachers and the director at the school and she'll text me like, oh, nope, chefs did it again. You're like, oh no, like what happened? And so I thought this morning, you know, I'm gonna introduce myself. I wanna give a little bit of a bio about myself. And I was like, you know what? I should have Shep do that for us. And so I wanna read you guys. This is a bio <laughs> written by my son. And so uh, remind you, he's four, all right guys? So my dad's name is dad. He's four years old. 
I gotta say, he, I, I've never called him boo-boo butt. Like that is, that's never happened. Like, I feel like I need to put the cards on the table and say that's ever happened. Uh, my favorite food is Twinkies. Guys, I hate Twinkies. In fact, he's never even had a Twinkie. I have no idea how he even knows what Twinkies are. Like last year, my favorite restaurant was Crystal's. So maybe a step above, I don't know. Um, and then let's go to the second to last one. I, one of my, my things my dad loves about me most is when I leave him alone to go potty. Okay, here's the thing, guys. Like, listen to me. I have never told him that, all right? But he's not wrong. I mean, you know it. You know it's true. Like, if you're a parent, you never get a minute to yourself. And so, I don't know. I think what I do know is that our kids are always watching us. And so we gotta be careful. But I love being a dad. And, you know, as I celebrate this day, as I celebrate being a dad, there's so much joy in this. But I also have to learn to hold on to the hard. Because for me, this day provides both. It's hard and good. And so for me, as I think about Father's Day, I long for a relationship with my own dad. That this day of every year, I'm reminded of the brokenness that is in my relationship with my father. And I know there are many others in this room who've experienced that same kind of brokenness that you long to have a relationship or a connection with your dad. And so this day can be bittersweet. There's people in this room who've lost their dads. And so you hold on to that tension as you celebrate this day, but you also miss your dad and you remember your dad. And for some, I know I have friends in this room that they long to be fathers, that they're trying and trying and it's not happening and they long to be a dad. And so for us this morning, as we pause and we reflect on Father's Day, I wanna remind you of something that I have to often remind myself of. And it's this, that no matter what you bring into this day, no matter what emotion you experience, that we have to learn to hold on to the good and the hard. And for me, it's to trust and remember that I have a heavenly father who knows me that I have a heavenly father who sees me, that I have a heavenly father who cares about the details in my life. And most importantly, we have a heavenly father who desires us to bring our hearts to him, that he wants us to bring our hearts to him so that we can know him. And so as we get into our text this morning, that's really what we're gonna see in in Psalm 39 as we begin to open up the text that, that David desires us to be able to bring our hearts for God. In fact, Psalm 39 is kind of a guide and a reflection. And David wants us to learn how we can have an honest prayer with God by bringing what is so familiar to all of us. And that is our pain and our suffering, that David wants us to know how we can bring it to God. You'll never have met a person who has not experienced brokenness, who has not experienced suffering in this world. And so as we look at Psalm 39, what David wants to understand is this, is that in in life, we are going to experience suffering that in this life, you will experience suffering, that you will experience pain, but you do not have to suffer alone. That you don't have to suffer alone. And I know there are men and women in this room that need to hear that, that you're walking, you're coming into this morning with brokenness and pain and you've been walking with it and you're in silence. And David wants us to know, you don't have to do it alone. And even as I say that, I wish I would have known that early on in marriage. You see, in 2015, Molly and I, my wife, we were both on staff at Pine Cove and we were working at camp. Um, We were both on full-time staff and we're at different camps and it's opening day, it's a Sunday, just like today. And families were pulling into camp and my job every week was to stand at the front gate as families pulled in and I would wave and smile and greet them. And on this particular day, my phone's in my pocket and my phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. It just keeps ringing, but I can't get to it because I keep talking to people, I keep talking to families. And then I get a text message. And so I finally have a moment to step away with my phone and I pull my phone out and it's a text from my wife. 
And she said, I need you to come and pick me up because I think we're losing the baby. That Molly and I, we were nine weeks pregnant and we had not yet told our friends and our family. And so I went and I picked her up and we went home. And the days that followed would be some of the darkest days that we've ever walked in. And since we had not shared with family and friends, we just kind of kept it that way. We told a few friends, a few family members, but for the majority of the people in our life, they had no idea. And so I went back into camp and started doing summer camp and pretending like nothing was wrong. And the longer I stayed there, the longer I was silent about the pain that was in my heart, that it had begun to explode in my chest, that I became angry with God because it wasn't going away. And so I had a friend of mine, a mentor, who reached out to me and he said, hey, let's go grab some coffee. So we went to get coffee and we were sitting in a coffee shop. And as we sit across the table, he asked me the question, he says, Monty, what do you need to say to God? And I looked at him and I was frustrated that he asked me the question. I was mad about it because I was angry with God. And he looked at me again, he says, what do you need to say to God? And as I sit there at the table, I just fought for words to make sense of the brokenness and the hurt that was in my heart. I just fought for something to come out, but nothing could come out. And as I stood at the table with him, tears began to fall down my face. And the only thing that I could say was that it's just not fair, that it's not fair. And so I tell you this story this morning because this is where we find David in Psalm 39, that David, he is experiencing intense suffering and pain and he is hurting, his heart is hurting and he does not know what to do with it. That there are men and women in this room who are feeling that same thing. And so I'm excited for us to walk through this text because I believe that God does not want us to walk alone. And so my hope for you is that you would begin to believe that too. And so an outline for us this morning, as we begin to work through the text, an outline that we will follow, will look something like this in verses one through three, that David will begin to name the pain that he is experiencing, that he names it. In verses four through six, we'll see David begin to feel the need. As he begins to feel the need, he brings that need to God and begins to express his needs to him. In verses seven through 11, we'll see David begin to invite hope. In verses 12 and 13, we'll see David begin to experience the presence of God. And so let's jump into it. Verse one of Psalm 39, David says this. He said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent and I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. See, for you, have you ever experienced anything in your life, maybe a thought or something in your life that has consumed every part of you that you can't focus on anything because all you can think about is that one thing that is on your mind? This is where we see David. David has experienced suffering. He's experiencing pain. His heart is hurting and he doesn't know how to talk about it. He expresses in verse one, right? I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my mouth, that I don't wanna sin because the only thing I can say are things that are gonna be sinful because I'm so angry and so mad and what I feel in my heart, I can't get it out. So I don't know what to do with it. And so maybe you said this to your kids or you've had it said to yourself before, but it's the idea that if you have nothing good to say, then don't say anything at all. And this is what David's experiencing and he has nothing good to say. And so he's angry and he's silent and the pain is burning and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he wants to get it out and he just stays there. That David remains silent as a way to cope and to deal with the turmoil that is going on around his life. 
So for us this morning, as we think about our brokenness, as we think about that, as I think about David in this moment, I think a lot of us can relate to David right now. Because if we're honest, we struggle with being honest with God. We struggle with telling God exactly what's going on in our life. We struggle with this. And for a lot of us, we struggle with this because either we believe that we can fix it ourselves, right? That the pain will go away, that it'll take care of itself, that if we just, you know, don't talk about it, if we sweep it under the rug and we pretend like it's not there, then somehow the pain is gonna disappear. And for others of us, like we, we don't bring our pain, we don't bring our needs to God because we believe that God is too busy to care about my needs. It's this idea that, that, that God hasn't done it before, so why would he do it now? And for David, we're beginning to see this isn't working. The pain isn't working, right? He says in verse two, I was mute and silent and I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse, that it was only getting worse, that avoiding the problem and pretending like the problem wasn't there wasn't helping him. I think about a couple of weeks ago, Molly and I were leaving the house with the kids in our minivan. And as we pulled out of the neighborhood, we go to a stop sign. And as we get to the stop sign, we start to hit our, hit our brakes and you kind of hear the noise, right? You all know what I'm talking about. It's like that noise in your brakes. And you're like, I look at Molly and I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's like probably a rock or something that got stuck in there. Or like maybe it's moisture or whatever, you know, pretend like it's not a problem. And so we keep going in the next few days, like the noise is getting more frequent. It's getting louder. And I'm like, that's not a big deal. Like I'm the guy that's the not a big deal guy, right? That's like, just turn the radio up and you won't hear it. It's not there. Like, you know, you know who that is in your family. And so I'm like sitting with it. And then so last week, like we pull up into the church and like, we hit the brakes and I mean, it feels like I'm in, I'm in Top Gun. It's like, like the car's like shaking and moving around and you're like, okay, I know what's going on. And so I called my brake guy and he called and we brought our, you know, our car in to get fixed and we paid a lot of money <laughs> to get our brakes fixed. And he had told me, he's like, man, if you just would have brought your car in a few days ago, this wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't be paying all this money. And I think this is what happens with our pain that somehow we believe that if we hide the pain, if we just ignore the pain, that somehow it's gonna take care of itself. And for us to take time to address the pain, to name the pain, may be one of the most difficult parts to do. And so for you this morning, whatever you might be walking with, would you be able to see that you can bring it to God? As David says in the scripture, that the fire burned as I mused, as I, as I dwelled on this pain, that the fire burned, but then I spoke with my tongue. And so as I think about this text, I think about what would David want us to know or what does David want us to you know, be encouraged by? And I think it's this, is that we have to name the pain that we are experiencing, that we have to name it. And I know that's difficult. I know that's hard to do for a lot of us, but we have to name the pain. He wants us to understand that we don't have to suffer in silence, that you can speak to God, that you can name your pain, that you don't have to have it all figured out. You can just name what is going on in you. And this is what we see in verse four as David begins to name the pain. He says, oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind, they stand as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. As David opens his mouth, the thing that he begins to pray is that God would remind him of the brevity of life. That God would remind him that life is brief. 
And what we actually see David asking is he's saying, God, when will this stop? Like, when, when will it go away? And I know that we've asked God that same question. Maybe if we are in a hard circumstance or a trial that we've cried out to God and say, God, when are you gonna make it stop? Can you please make this go away? And what we begin to see to David is that he brings his heart to God, that he's burning with fire. He has no way to articulate it. He said earlier that I wanna bring this, but I'm not sure how to say it. And then at the end of verse three, he says, I spoke with my tongue. And these are the words that came out of my mouth that I'm just bringing to God what is on my heart. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have the perfect words to say, but I'm gonna bring to God exactly what is on my heart. And what we see David do in this moment is that David becomes needy before God, that David begins to express his needs. And it's through the confession of his needs that he acknowledges that I can't do it. He, he not just, I can't do it. And he begins to invite the one who can. You see, I think this is a hard part in our relationship that if we want to know God, that we have to be needy. And for me, I believe this lie that my needs don't matter. And so I think for, for so often, I believe that by not being needy, it makes me a good pastor. By not being needy, it makes me a good husband. By not being needy, it makes me a good father. And I was at counseling a few years ago and I was talking to my therapist and he had asked me the question. He says, Monty, what do you need from people? He knew what he was doing. And I stood at him and I stared at him and I, and I think the pride in me could not help but to say, nothing. I'm good, man. Like, I really am good. Like, I'm good. And he looked at me and says, what do you need from Molly? I knew that I shouldn't say nothing, but I couldn't think of anything else. And I just looked at him and said, Nothing. He looked at me and says, what do you need from God? And I said, nothing. And what I began to realize in that moment that by not being needy, I was missing out on deep connection with my wife. And I was missing out on deep connection with God. And so for us, we have got to learn to bring our needs to God, that we have to put aside the, the idea that this is gonna feel weak or this is gonna be hard and that we could, just like David, step into it and confess, God, I can't do it. I bring my needs to you. I lay them on the table and I say, this is what I need. God, would you show up? I confess that I can't do it. I need you to help me do it. That walking in pain and just keeping our pain to ourselves, that our bodies were not made for that that we have to open our mouth and we have to speak to God. And so for us this morning, I do believe this, that intimacy, it begins with being needy. That being needy doesn't make you weak. Being needy makes you known. And we all have the deepest desire to be known. And so if you wanna experience God, begin by bringing your needs to him. Begin by acknowledging that God, I need you to do it because I can't. I can't fix my brokenness. I can't fix the suffering. I can't fix the pain, but God, you can. And this is what we begin to see in David's life. And so as David begins to pray, right? He begins to pray for the brevity of life. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is why is he praying for this? I mean, like if we look at verse four, oh Lord, make me know my aunt. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. What a weird need to ask for. God, remind me that I'm gonna die. Like, remind me that life is brief. Like, he's crying out to God, the pain, the suffering, the hurt, and the things that he says is, God, remind me that I'm gonna die. Remind me that my life is short. Remind me that life is fleeting. Remind me that life is but a hand breath. Remind me that my time on earth is short. And so what do I do with this? 
And so I think as we ask the question, we have to ask, why would David pray for that? Of all things, why would he pray for that? And here's why. Because the pain that seems to be permanent begins to loosen its grip when David realizes that it's not forever. That the pain that is gripping his heart, that he begins to realize that this pain will not last forever. And so as he goes to this experience, his prayer is simply this, Lord, remind me that the pain and the suffering won't last forever. And as God begins to change his heart and to change his perspective, as he begins to realize that this pain is not the end for me, that David's perspective changes. And here's what begins to happen, that David, he realizes that life is too short to allow pain and suffering to consume him that I'm not gonna let this thing consume every part of me. That is not my life. That is not what God wants for me. Secondly, and most importantly, David realizes that life is too short to suffer alone, that we don't have to suffer alone. And so it's through the confession of David that we are confronted with the same reality that we have to answer this question for ourselves. And it's this, why do we let our suffering consume every part of us instead of trusting God with it? What is keeping you from coming to the Father and laying your needs on the table and saying, God, I need you? What is keeping you from holding on to the pain and the brokenness and the suffering that you're experiencing? What is keeping you from saying, God, I want your presence. God, I want you. And so would David's prayer begin to shape our lives? Would this prayer begin to help us see? Would the, would the brevity of life remind us that there is more to this life than our suffering? that there's more to this life than our suffering. I love it. David realizes he can't do it alone. He can't do it alone, right? He names the pain. He brings this need to God. He acknowledges this God. I can't do it. I can't fix this. And then we begin to see David invite hope. Verse seven. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebuke for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. What the Psalm is beginning to help us see guys, what it's beginning to show for David is this, it's that no amount of wealth or accumulation can stop the reality that our life has limited days. And the more that you begin to believe that, the more that you begin to let, let go of control, and, you know, the more that we acknowledge the limitations of our own power, it begins to free us to embrace that God alone is the one who can save us, that God alone is the one that can rescue us. And so he talks about his wealth and it's being consumed and that, that none of these things matter. The only thing that matters is you. And so he asks this question. I love this question in verse seven that he states. He says, and now, O oh Lord, for what? do I wait? It's almost like he, you think he's waiting for a response, but he's not because he says, my hope is in you. For what do I wait? I don't wait for you to take away the pain. I don't wait for you to make it stop. I don't wait for you to take care of me and make life all better. My hope is in you. Like it's when he confesses his need for God that, that the hope of Christ begins to settle into his heart and he realizes I don't have to do it because I have one who wants to do it, who wants to walk with me. So, so for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So ask yourself the question, for what do you wait? What is it you're waiting on? The hope of Jesus has already been given to us, that our hope is in him. 
And so it frees us to embrace that we can't do it and that we don't have to do it. And it's through David's prayer that we begin to see this, that God alone is our hope. What is your hope? What are you waiting for? And as we think about this, we have to ask this question. This is a hard question to ask. It's this, is it worth dwelling on the pain until it has to be resolved? Or is it worth more to have the peace and the presence of Christ in the pain with you? Is it worth more to dwell on the pain until it has to be resolved? Or is it worth more to have the presence of Christ in the pain with you? In our ministry, we work with students and we deal with a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of things where kids are wrestling. And it's that same question they're asking, why can't God take away my anxiety? Why can't he take away my pain? Why can't he make it stop? And so it's this realization that, that just because the presence of Christ is in the pain with you, it doesn't mean that the pain goes away, that the pain is still there, that life is gonna be hard. As David said, in this life, you will experience suffering, but we don't have to suffer alone. And so what does it look like? Why do we wait until it's resolved? Why do we wait until it's under the rug long enough or enough years have passed by where the family doesn't talk about that anymore or where we ignore it or we pretend like it never happened in our story, but we know the pain and the anger is eating us away and it's consuming us like fire. And we're like David saying, I gotta get it out. What would it look like for you to experience God that way? To say, God, I need you. It is worth more to have the presence of Christ and the pain with me than it is to figure it out alone. What are you waiting for? Our hope is in him. Our hope is in him. And so it's in verse 12 and 13 where we begin to see the presence of God begin to shape David. Verse 12, I love this verse. He's crying out to God and he says, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace from my tears. That his, pers his perspective is beginning to change and his heart's beginning to change. And he says, God, would you be near me? God, would you hear my cry? And would your peace be near me, God? Would your peace be near my tears? That is the peace in the presence of Christ that God wants to offer you this morning, that he wants to be near you. The Psalm, it just gives us, it gives us a language to communicate with God. And so for us, God invites us to bring our hearts to him, our thoughts, our emotions, our desires, and our choices, and to allow his presence to shape us. That that is what God wants for us, that we don't have to suffer alone. And so for you this morning, what would it look like for you to engage that? What would it look like for you to begin to name the pain that you've been holding on to for so long that nobody else knows? What would it look like to bring it to God? What would it look like to begin to express your need and confess the need for God that you can't do it, but you need him to do it? To experience hope and to have his presence shape you. What would that look like this morning? I know it's not an easy thing to do, but it's worth it. And here's why it's worth it. Because God's presence is better than our comfort. It's better than answers. It's better than anything else. And so we come to God with all that we have and all that we are, knowing that at the end of the day, we get God. And the question you have to ask yourself, is that enough? 
as Lloyd stated last week, why do we come to God? Why do we continue to speak to God if God does not speak back? Because we get God, that his promises is that his presence will be with us, that it will always be with us. So we have hope in that, knowing that his presence is near, that his presence is better than answers. It's better than comfort. It's better than him taking away the pain. I want the peace and the presence of Christ to be in the pain with me. I know it's not easy, but it's worth it. And this morning, I wanna share a video with you guys. Um, at FSM, our student ministry, I have a leader. His name is Brennan Chapman. And Brennan is an incredible young man. That is, you begin to hang out with Brennan and talk to Brennan. You can't walk away from a conversation with this guy without smiling because he is just so joyful. But what a lot of people don't know about Brennan is that he has been struggling and he has a lot of health issues going on that he has seen hundreds of specialists, that he's taken all kinds of medicine and nobody can tell him what's going on. And this guy faithfully, he shows up on Wednesday nights every single week to camps and he gives his life away to pour into high school guys to help them understand the hope that is in Jesus. And so when I think about Psalm 39, I think about Brennan. Hope you guys enjoy his story. What's up? Okay, cool. I'm good. We got it. What's up? Uh, my name is Brennan Chapman. I am 20 years old. I went to Brown High School. I am at Columbia State currently, and I graduated from FSM, loved every second of it. And then I love this so much. I came back as a 242 leader, and I am teaching a now sophomore group of guys, and they were a uh, they were ninth graders. And, but I've been with them for two years and it's just been an enjoyment. I just love volunteering and being with them every single second, every Wednesday, every trip we go on. It's just awesome because you're, you're just with kids. You're, you're being with like who you wish you could be again. And you're just experiencing their life like with them. And then you're, you're explaining what you went through in those times and how they can get through them. And you're just helping everybody and they're helping you. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. So I just wanted to like give a second, like say what I've been going through the past few years. So in uh, 2020, I was about to graduate high school and then we went to the beach and that was right when like the COVID, everything was getting like locked down or whatever. On the way back, I was feeling some pains in my stomach and then like the rest of my body kind of and your head was like out of whack, really dizzy the next day just getting worse and worse and worse. I went to a specialist, I went to Vanderbilt, St. Thomas, and they ran every test, we did everything, everything came back fine, as usual. We went along this route for maybe six, seven, eight months. There was new things that I started feeling, and I was feeling nerve pain in my face that engulfed your whole jawline, as if somebody were to take like a roller that people use for putting down carpets and it has spokes at the end of it, and they just drag it along and they press down really hard, and that's what it felt like all along. And that went on, the nerve pain in the face went on for probably about, I would say a good year and a half. At the same time all that was happening, I realized that nothing really looked like normal anymore. It's like just black and white squares and you're trying to see what's happening in the TV when it's kind of like has a bad connection and you're seeing the picture but you're still seeing like the staticky. That's what my vision looks like, still looks like. So on top of your immune system, 
turning on you, my body knowing exactly what I've gone through, all the immunities I got when I was younger, all the vaccinations and any sickness I went through, like Lyme's disease, my body has now brought it all back up. And what's been really hard about that, it went through when it killed my adrenals and your thyroid, my thyroid. And so what that means is you have major chronic fatigue because your body's not producing any chemicals to make ATP, which is energy. And so you're walking every day. As soon as you get out of the truck, you're already gassed. You already did what your body could do for the day. Walking into any stores was a major deal. Like that was accomplishment, getting through the store and getting to the truck. It's been going on like that for months, for, over, for almost over two years now. It's just been a lot. I'm sitting here still going through dozens and dozens of things all day long, but I just know that there's a greater purpose in my life than just to go through this storm and stay in this storm. I've been learning and everybody learns through things they're going through. My pain is not wasted. Today, I still don't have any answers. I still don't know what's wrong. We still don't have any things that are, oh, that's the cure, you're all good, buddy. And the only way I get through it is knowing that the Spirit of the Lord is truly within me. But I know that the Spirit of God getting me through the days is more than enough. That's enough. I'm so thankful I have such a strong connection and have the Lord with and for me so that I can live and be and be with Him. And just know that I'm okay. And it's just day by day, that's how you live. That's how I live. That's how I live, knowing that He's the source. He is my source. I love this story because it just reminds us that one, we don't know what people are going through. But secondly, as I look at his life and I see him drawing near to the presence of God, it's something that I want for myself. And so as we look at the scriptures in Romans 15, 13, it says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So my question for us this morning is what would it look like for hope to abound? Not that hope that God is gonna take away the pain, not hope that it's all gonna be okay, not that you're gonna have all the answers, but what would it look like for hope to abound in you because you know and you believe and you trust that the very presence of God lives in you? That our hope would come from knowing that his presence is with us and so we can do hard things that we could bring our pain this morning, that we could begin to name the pain that we're experiencing, that we could put away our pride and that we could become needy before God and express to God, what is our deepest need? Whatever it might be, that you could bring your need to him, that you could express that. It is worth it. As David says, let the sufferer not be silent, but speak to God. Would you speak to God this morning? As we end the questions that we use each week for us, I wanna present a couple of questions for you guys to think about this morning. And the first question is this, that David brought the anger that burned within him to God, his emptiness, his tears. What is the most honest part of yourself that you could bring to God this morning? Just simply have a conversation. How could you speak with your tongue, open your mouth? 
The second question is, what do you long for most in your suffering? What do you need from God? Would you name it? And the third question is, what would it look like for hope to abound? Knowing that even if the pain doesn't go away, that you still have the presence of God that lives in you and that is enough. About to sing a song in a moment that's called Promises. And I love this song because I think what happens is that when we're in pain or we're in suffering, we're in trials, that we so quickly forget God's faithfulness in our life. And so as we sing this song, my hope for us is that it would draw back to us and that we could remember God's faithfulness in our life, the times that He's been faithful, that we can trust that He did it then and that He can do it now, that God wants to meet you. Would you believe that this morning? you don't have to suffer alone. Let's worship.